following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Hello everyone, this is Pastor Alan Gilman from All Saints Lutheran Church bringing you the message for October the 11th, 2020. This weekend is also Thanksgiving in Canada. We have it earlier here uh, than our American neighbors do who celebrate Thanksgiving next month. Um, I'm aware that this Thanksgiving is different from all our other Thanksgivings due to the current COVID crisis. And I, I know it can be quite a challenge uh, that a lot of people aren't able to see each other as they would like to at this time. And it can be quite sad and lonely. At the same time, it's important to keep perspective that uh, actually in the midst of all this, you may not want to hear this, but we're blessed. And I would encourage you to take some time this weekend to think of the things that you that you are thankful for the blessings that you do have and the blessings that you've experienced over this past year. Thanksgiving is a holiday that is should give us perspective, and, and that's a good lead-in to this week's message as Jesus seeks to bring perspective to his disciples as they talk about some very scary things that were to come. And uh, the perspective that he's giving to them is the same perspective that he wants us to have today uh, in general. And it's, it's even more important as we were facing these confusing and difficult times of, the, of COVID-19, the coronavirus. So let's get into it. Um, this passage is quite controversial. There's a lot of uh, discussion over it because of what the disciples ask Jesus and what he is uh, and the question that he answers. Um, and it's kind of too bad, not kind of, it's actually too bad that people um, have been sidetracked by getting lost in, in some of the details, especially about futuristic events, future events. And if we listen carefully to what the Lord is saying here, then I believe we can receive the message that he really wants us to have, the same message that he was sharing with them, 2,000 years ago. That's the same message that he wants us to hear today. And so, as he said earlier on in this gospel, may uh, uh, may those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And we need to have ears to hear with what he's saying here. The section that we're in began in chapter 11, when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem with all the triumphal fanfare and shouts of Hoshiana, Hosanna, deliver us now, son of David. And then we saw how he confronted the, the temple system and the priests and, and was engaged by and engaged uh, uh, mainly uh, religious leaders over various things and uh, sought to give them perspective, the right kind of perspective of the of what his kingdom is all about. And it crescendos with this chapter, and I won't give too much away as we look into it, and I've chosen to do the whole chapter this week, even though it's a little it's a little long, um, but it's it's too much of a of a unit to try to chop chop up over over several weeks. So let's read Mark chapter 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? 
there will not be left here one stone upon another that will be that will not be thrown down. And as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. They must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever it is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days... There will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey." when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word that you have preserved for us. And we ask that you would help us to understand what you're saying here. Help us to get perspective. We have so much reason to be thankful, Lord, though you know also the the difficulties that we're in and the sadness that we feel. And thank you that we could be both sad and thankful at the same time. 
and we look to you for your help during these difficult days. But also, do give us perspective. Help us to see our lives and the world that we live in at this time through your eyes. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so one more thing before I get into the passage. Uh, For many people, this is one of the passages that appears to be speaking about the Lord's second coming that we're, that we're waiting to happen when he will come visibly to judge the living and the dead and to set things to right, all to rights and to, to judge the world. Um, but there's problems with making this whole passage be about that. If we just took it right out of context, a lot of people would assume that's what he's talking about here. If we actually look at the flow, the flow that began with chapter 11 and entering the temple and all the discussions about the temple that ends up resulting in the question, the questions that the disciples ask him, then it's actually far more about the destruction of the temple that happened in 70 AD. And I'll try to explain this more as we go along. I think it is also talking about his, for us, his soon return, uh, but it's mainly focused on uh, the destruction of the temple. Well, I, let's get into it. So chapter 13, verse 1. And as he, that is Jesus, came out of the temple, one of, the, of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Another way to translate the word wonderful here would be, what remarkable stones, what remarkable buildings. They're really something to, to be struck by. You don't want to be struck by the stones, but you know what I mean. It was actually said... Um, by a rabbi around this time that he who has not seen the temple in its full splendor has never seen a beautiful building. In fact, the temple in Jerusalem at that time was the most impressive building in the whole Roman Empire. It's possible that some of the disciples had never been there before and they would have been so impressed by this magnificent building. Some of the stones uh, of of the temple uh, weighed 80 tons or more. It's it's really hard to believe. They were uh, this much of the stones of the temple built overseen by Herod the Great uh, were ashlar stones. They were large stone blocks uh, that were cut smooth and they had these narrow margins around the edges and a smooth, slightly raised center, large center uh, called bosses. It's ashlar stones and these were particular Herodian ashlar stones. So first of all, I've shown you this photo before. This is a scale model of the temple that they would have visited in that day. And what I want you to see this time mainly is look at the size of the, the temple proper uh, is in, in the center that has the holy place and the holy of holies and the special area where the sacrifices were made. And then you have this outer court but notice if you look further and in the, in the photo, you can see the little houses and other buildings and how the temple dwarfs all those other buildings. This thing was absolutely huge. So then Jesus responds, second part of verse two, and Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? So he doesn't deny how great the buildings were. But then he goes on, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. 
So when you realize how big and heavy these stones were, the idea that they would be thrown down at all, and, and it, was, it was so well built, that alone is would be something that is hard to believe. And when you start to understand what he's saying, it's actually quite devastating. And it's, it's mainly devastating because he's predicting about the destruction of their beloved temple. And I tried to explain last week how the temple for the people of that day was symbolic that God was with them, that he hadn't completely forsaken them. Yes, they were back in the land, but they're being ruled by foreigners, in this case, the the Romans, but they still had their temple, even though the temple had become very, very corrupt, and which, which is the reason for its soon destruction, about 40 years around from when this uh, dialogue took place. And, uh, and to be talking about uh, the temple's destruction would be, in fact, it's, we call that sedition. It's, it's, it's undermining the authorities. It's tre- a treacherous act. In fact, Jesus talking and predicting, prophesying about the temple's destruction ended up being um, uh, mis- misconceived by the crowds when he's on trial, we'll see this later on in Mark, people are going to say that they heard Jesus said that he would destroy the temple. It's the idea of even talking about the temple's destruction would be equated in people's minds that they would be the the, the, the ones doing it, the ones initiating that destruction. It was a horrible, horrible thought. And so he, he says this to them, but they don't say anything back to him until later. Verses 3 and 4. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, we get a great view of the Temple Mount from the, the Mount of Olives. Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. Usually it's when we, we hear about the inner circle, it's just Peter, James, and John. And Peter's uh, brother Andrew is in on this. Maybe he was the one that prompted the question and he brought the three along to, to get more information. And it's interesting. No one else is talking to him about this. Um, maybe it's just too awful of a topic. Verse 4, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Very typical question. Jesus is talking about an incredibly devastating event, and it's terrifying. Um, so when will this happen, How and how will we know that it's about to happen? And so let's listen to what he says. Now, it's so important to understand they're asking about the destruction of the temple. And the answer that he gives, people have misinterpreted to be all about, I, I think it spills over into his second coming, but we take a lot of what he's saying here, and we apply it to his second coming, that of course did not happen in their lifetime and has not happened yet. Uh, most of his answer is about the question that they asked, What? when will these things be? When will these stones will be... Th- Uh, thrown down. When will the temple be destroyed? Verses 5 and 6. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. So the first thing he says to them is, it's not a direct answer to the question. The first thing is, make sure no one leads you you astray. And there's a word here, uh, blepete, um, which is derived from the word to see. It's mentioned four times in chapter 13. And here it's like, see the no one, but it's it's beware, watch out. 
you know, pay attention, see what's going on. And so the first thing they need to know is that many are going to come saying that they're bringing the word of the Lord, but don't believe them. And that they actually will lead many astray. And that's been happening ever since this time, since the time he said this. People who have been following Jesus have been led astray. And a lot of people think, oh, that can't happen. If you're a true believer of the Lord, you're a true son and daughter of God, no one's going to lead you astray. You're, you're, you're impervious to deception. But that's not what Jesus teaches. It's not what he teaches. We've got to be on guard against false teaching and, and, and deceptive forces. Verses 7 and 8. I'm starting to get a little excited here. And when you hear, not excited in a positive way, but I am am excited in a positive way because I believe if we hear what the Lord's saying to us in this chapter, chapter 13, we will be equipped to withstand deception and we won't be led astray and we can get going with the things that we need to get going with. That's why I'm getting excited. Verses 7 and 8. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Now, so this end he's talking about here, it it, it, can, it might spill over to his second coming, but they're asking him about the destruction of the temple. Now, this I already mentioned how important the temple was. We don't take that seriously enough. This was the this was huge, 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 huge to them. Uh, verse eight: For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. Uh, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, birth pains to what? Birth pains to the structure of the temple? Most likely, because that's the question he's answering. It could be birth pains to the great uh, judgment that will come when, when he returns. But the point is clear. Whatever he's talking about, the point is clear. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, and they might, must take place, but that's not the end. And what's happened, what, what likely happened to them, And what's happened ever since in all these 2,000 years is believers time and time again have thought this terrible time that we're in, this is the end. And because it's the end, we got to do certain things instead of paying attention to what the Lord actually says. There's a recipe for life here. God's directions are contained here of how we're supposed to deal with very difficult times. Whether it difficult times. And that's what they're asking. They knew what it meant. If, if if the temple was going to be destroyed, people were going to be in big, 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 big trouble and danger. So what are we supposed to do? Well, he says, there's going to be a lot of terrible things happen. And what does he say? Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Verse 9, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Now, when he says, but be on your guard, you know, the first thing we think of is, you know, hold up the shield and defend ourselves. Uh, But he actually says, you're going to be delivered over to councils, legal councils, and beaten in synagogues. And the pressure that they will experience, the attacks that will be upon them won't just be from their own people but also from governors and kings referring to, in this case, would be the Romans. Be on your guard. Be on your guard for what, though? To fight? To protect yourself? No. To bear witness before them, to give testimony about Jesus, who he is, and what he's come to do, and what we're all about 
as being his followers. And he says, verse 10, and the gospel, the good news, must first be proclaimed to all nations. And this is, now we're used to this. Oh, the gospel needs to go to all nations and, and that needs to happen before he returns. And, and But getting this, from, hearing it as they're hearing it, this is these are Jewish people who this group had never been outside the land of Israel before. They're oppressed by a foreign nation. And yet they're being told that the message of King Jesus, because that's what the gospel is, the Yangelion, where we get evangelism from and evangelical from, the Yangelion is an announcement of a king. It means good news, but it's a royal announcement. It's royal good news. Usually, uh, the good news, uh, Ro- Roman, the Roman people would pronounce the Yangelion about Caesar. I've talked about this in other places. But he's giving them the, a commission, a mandate, a mission to proclaim the good news of a different king, the true king, King Messiah, Jesus. And this message has to go to all nations. This is mind-blowing for a group of, of people who'd, who'd never left their, their homeland and that they're being told that they're going to have to stand before not only rulers of their own people, but rulers of the other nations, the Gentiles. So th- this, is, this is very intimidating. But notice what he says, verse 11, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, doesn't sound too good, do not be anxious beforehand. What? Don't be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't a formula for preachers and people like me to go, you know what? You don't have to prepare. Whenever you go to give a sermon, just stand up there and God will give you what to say. Now, I'm grateful that God often gives me what to say, that in the moment, uh, things that I need to say at the time, and he's with me as I seek to minister his word, but that's not this context. This is a context where where people are being called uh, in very high pressure, dangerous, uh, intimidating situations where you're not going to be able to prepare. This is not the sort of thing you prepare for, except be prepared to trust God to give you what to say at the time. And, and again, here they are, this group of Jewish people, never been out of the country before, being told that they're going to be equipped to speak about the Yangelion, the good news, the gospel of King Jesus to authorities. Verses 12 and 13. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He's saying things are not going to go smoothly. In fact, the trouble's going to be in your own family circle. Because you you represent me, Jesus said. But he's encouraging them, even though this will be happen, this, even though this will happen, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Don't be discouraged. Stay true to God. It's going to be really, really tough. But endure. And of course, if he's saying that they and we can endure, then we can endure. But we've got to stay focused. We've got to keep right perspective. Now he gets into some details, verses 14 through 20. It's important to understand he's talking about the destruction of the temple. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he where he ought not to be, 
let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down or enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now, I know people like to take this and apply it to a, a time that's coming, a time of great tribulation, not um, not like any other time. But it appears that he's speaking here that this great tribulation that was uh, uh, uncomparable to anything that had happened or would happen, he's talking about the terrible destruction of the temple of 70 AD. Now, Another thing going on here is, is people wonder, well, why is Mark writing this down about giving this sort of advice what people should do when this thing happens? It's possible that this was spoken of by Peter and written down by Mark for the people of their day, that perhaps that they should leave Jerusalem as soon as possible because of how terrible it's going to be. We don't really know. There's so many things about the details in this section that I just read that people all these scholars argue about. We don't really know. But we do know what the Lord wants us to do. And that's what we need to be concerned about. Verses 21 through 23, And then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, the Messiah. Or look, here he is. Sorry. Or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect and the chosen ones. Be on guard. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. And he's equipping those disciples and teaching us through them that in their turbulent time, all sorts of false messiahs are going to crop up. And they're even going to do signs and wonders. Don't be impressed just because people do miracles. If they're not done in the truth of Jesus, they're fake. A lot of a lot of Christians they get they you know they don't believe that God does these wonderful things anymore and then wonderful things happen in Jesus' name and and then they're blown away by them. I believe we should be doing signs and wonders in Jesus' name, but that doesn't prove uh, the authenticity of the person. It it glorifies the Lord. And we just got to be we need to be on guard not to be led astray. Verses 24 through 27. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And he goes on, I'm, I'm going to continue reading in a second, and uses these very um, uh, very graphic ways of talking about huge change. Now, scholars disagree. Some think this is a way to talk about the destruction of the temple and how terrible it was. Um, earth-shaking events. We say that today, earth-shaking events. We don't mean necessarily there's an earthquake, but we talk that way. That could be what's going on here. Or he has slid what he's sharing with them into discussion about the second coming. But it doesn't matter if we're paying attention. Like the, the actual details of the events don't matter as much as what he's seeking to tell us here. So I'll read verse 24 again. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Verses 28 to 30. From the fig tree learn its lesson. 
As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is coming. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he, probably should be it, is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So the closer you look at this, the more confusing it gets. Is he talking about his you know, that day, the people living then and what they're going to experience talking about in very graphic, dramatic terms? Or is he speaking about a time way in the future that has not happened yet, even for us, as we await his second coming? It doesn't really matter if we're paying attention to what he's seeking to tell them and us. And that is... um. It's his words that will that will never pass away. Whatever happens, we could trust him. Whatever happens, we can stand firm in the Lord. Verse 32, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, it's possible he was already slipping in talking in, about his second coming already, or this is where he makes this shift in talking about it as he as he speaks about the day and hour no one knows um, because it was going to be more obvious as things would get get more difficult and difficult when the Romans would be um, going against Jerusalem and the temple but in terms of when the Lord returns no one knows when that's going to be and it, it upsets some people when it says here not uh no one knows, uh, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Like, how can Jesus not know this? But the, the Son of God is is God become a man, and at least in this time that he's speaking, um, he he emptied himself of all of his divinity, his godness, and he's functioning as a true human being. And so the Father had not informed him when that time would be. And again, you Go, you could go do all this theological research on, a, on a, a statement like that, but the point is clear. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, and so it is a waste of time trying to figure that out. But it's not a waste of time to do what he's calling us to do, which he reiterates in verse 33. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. So there are, there's going to be huge dramatic things that will happen. That's what they were going to experience in their day. We might experience it in our day. There's crazy things happening in our world today. How are we supposed to relate to them? And he again uses this word to you know watch and, and, and be alert. And he adds, keep awake here uh, in verse 33. So we don't know when certain things are going to happen. We may not understand all that's going on. But we need to be true to what God's calling us to do. Some of us don't even know what that is. Some of us knew what it was and have forgotten, and others of us still don't know what that is. But he wants to reveal that to us. And then he gives a parable. We're getting to the end here, verses 34 and 36. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. He says stay awake four times. In this short little section, therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Do you get the? You don't know, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. 
We have been given a job to do, and we need to be keeping at that job, whatever it is. Now, don't look at other people and see what look at what they're doing. Compare yourselves to them. Remember last time we talked about loving the Lord our God with all our heart and all our strength and all our mind. Whatever strength you have, that's what you need to give to the Lord. Give yourself to the Lord. In and but don't fall asleep. And he and he underlines it one more time, the end of the chapter, verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is not just for Jesus' disciples at that day. Whatever they were asking him, whatever it really means. He's saying something to all of us. We need to stay awake. Well, what does it mean to fall asleep? What does it mean to not be awake? Well, we could be distracted by other things. And we live in a day that has more distractions than any other day. And I know there's so many things that maybe we want to do but can't do because of COVID. But with our devices, our TVs, and and our telephones, it's so easy to be distracted by other things. One of the things that is distracting people, I've mentioned this before, is the media. And why they get as much respect as they do, they give you such a poor perspective on reality. And sure, read the news, but I hope you're reading and, and or watching various sources and trying to get to the bottom of what people are saying. Check sources, check sources. Don't just listen to what somebody says. But the best source is this, God's word. If, if we... Don't read the news if you're not getting the perspective of God's word. I was going to say this is like a a filter, but it's not a filter. It's a lens. Just like I can't see properly without my glasses on, but with my glasses on, I could see properly. And the scriptures enable us to see properly. And that is what enables us to, um, to interact with the things that we're hearing and seeing. Without being informed by God's word, we're not going to be able to interact with the world around us, be it the media or anything else. So there's all these distractions. And that's one of the ways that we fall asleep. Another way is we just become disinterested. It's been such a long time. I'm just tired, just tired of trying to engage. Or we might actually be bored. And that's another thing that happens when we lose perspective. Like we think we know the scriptures. Oh, some of us, you know, you've been to church and services your entire life. You've heard God's word over and over and over again, but we forget we forget it's so easy to forget and even you know i try to be in god's word every every day and then the work that i do in preparing messages like this and trying to dig deep into god's word and I, there's still so much to be discovered and so much that i have forgotten and if you think the word of god is boring either you haven't been reading it or you're just reading trying to read it without really thinking cuz there it's anything but boring And we could also get discouraged. Whenever we're in difficult times, we could just get so discouraged. We think things are bad. But there again, it's because we don't have God's perspective. There's no reason to be discouraged if we understand what's really going on. And the only way to understand what's going on is to have God's perspective. And we get God's perspective from his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you don't know what's going on, Ask God, and he will speak to you. He will speak to us. And one more reason for falling asleep is we get, is possibly we've gotten hurt in the past. It's something to do with with God's people or in our lives or our families. We get hurt. Again, it's a distraction, though. Remember, we were being told, be on your guard, keep alert. 
And and when we get hurt, we fo- end up focusing on ourselves. Now, God wants to help us with our hurts. That's why we need to seek him. That's why we need to know his word. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us all that we need to not only cope in these times, but to make a difference. And however that might be, Father, forgive us for falling asleep and help us to be awake and at whatever it is you have given us to do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any comments or questions, remember, you can email me at pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca. Also, you could join us in our Bible study. The link will be in the description below. And uh, it's every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and you could join us. And uh, this week, um, I'm going to open it for questions on a passage like this. There's so much I wasn't able to cover, but I want to warn you, we need to focus on what the point really is. And the point is, We need to stay awake and we need to be about our Father's business. Until next time, this is Pastor Allen for All Saints Lutheran Church. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.